it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. And welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. I am Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. A lot going on. It's crazy. This news cycle is enough to make you like, oh, can't do it anymore. We have a lot of great guests planned for you during the show. A lot to cover, so let's get right to it. And let's start it off with Charles Hurt, Fox News contributor, columnist for the Washington Times. Follow him on Twitter at Charles Hurt. No E on the end of that, just H-U-R-T. Charlie, thank you for joining me. Great to be with you, Mary. It is so good to have you here, especially It takes in- two of us to fill in for Kilmeade. It's like the guy's such a giant person, such a giant, like, he fills everything. It takes at least two people to fill in for him. I'm sensing a tad bit of sarcasm. <laughs> and then they won't even let me sit in his seat. I mean, this is that's how big he is. Really? Yeah. You have to sit in the guest seat because yeah. you're a guest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sitting over in the guest seat. Nice. It's like they have a little throne. It's like a, they've got candles lit, and they, well, they like, let you wear his crown, though. No, and they and they took his soccer. My, the, they they took his soccer ball away, so I can't even like sit here on a soccer ball. There was probably a horrible soccer ball incident that we do not know about, <laughs> <laughs> but probably lives on in uh, Fox lore. Um, there is a lot to cover, so uh, let's talk a little bit about. 2024, shall we? Because this country, are we the only country in the world that as soon as an election <laughs> ends, we start the next one? I think so. I think this is, hey, this is freedom, baby. This is this is the way it, I mean, and, and it's so funny. You walk around and uh, I talk to, you know, I live out in normal America. And when you, you just mention it, and it doesn't matter whether somebody's a Democrat or Republican, their eyes just glaze over and, and smoke starts smoldering out of their ears. They're so tired of all of it. And I think I really do think that's how you wind up with some of the people we want that we wind up with in in Washington is because they just want to they want to find the worst person. It doesn't matter if they're like they have mental issues. It doesn't matter what the problem. They just want to find the worst person they can find and send them to Washington because that's what they think the place deserves. And I, I don't know that I disagree with them, actually. <laughs> it doesn't really um, help things, though. No, and, and, and no, it makes the, it probably makes things worse. I don't know though, actually, yes. because like when back when Trump was was running in 2016, I always sort of joked that he should come up with a with a bumper sticker that just says, "Well, you can't screw it up," and uh, and and what? you know, it's it's a pretty good argument. I mean, you know, well, it's take kind a flyer. Of like it's it's like when president when an, former President Trump said from from the podium at one of his rallies, and he was talking to Black America. He said. Yeah. Could what what have they done for you? What what do you possibly have to lose by voting for me? Yeah. They've done it, nothing for you. It was it, it, in this weird way. It was the most honest marketing uh, that we've ever had from a politician, and that in particular, where, 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 when he went to to Black Americans and just said, "What have you got to lose? Take a right. try." It, it, you know, the other thing isn't working, and and I, I think you know not only did it, I think it really did win over. You know, even if it didn't win over all of those people, it, it it disarmed a lot of people and it made them realize, you know, actually, 
what has Hillary Clinton or Democrats or Joe or whoever, what have these people done for me? And, you know, they because goodness knows they make all the promises in the world. And uh, and and if you were to define the one thing that is broken about about Washington and the Democrat Party in particular, it's broken promises. It's failed promises. They promise the world and they know it when they're making that. You and I know this, uh, but I think a lot of voters don't necessarily realize it because they don't study it. But when they promise the world, they know they're lying. And it's it's um, and, and Trump was the first guy to come along and really point that out. Yes, but they do have uh, the media running, you know, shilling for them and covering for them. And actually, I'm going to switch gears here. Where is um, where is the montage? Here it is. I, I just want to play these two things back to back, and we'll, we'll we'll go into this, but then we'll get into the election because uh, Governor Chris Sununu had something to say about Trump running. But let's talk just very quickly about the media because I think you'll get a kick out of this. Let's start with cut four, Eric. The attack on the whistleblower... Um, is, is never wise. It's never lawful. Um, it's never honorable. It's everything you said. It's a travesty. Is a hardworking, patriotic person in the intelligence community who just wants to put the information out there. The president to call into question the credibility of this whistleblower. They're referring to this whistleblower as the so-called whistleblower. Okay, that's one. Now, I'm going to ask you, which years do you think, or which presidents do you think these are under? Because here is cut five. And I'm not going to call them whistleblowers. They don't deserve whistleblower protection. Each and every one of them has a uh, strange history, has, guess what, Russian connections. (laughs) They always do. These are not, as we would consider them, whistleblowers. People who are alleging (laughs) wrongdoing. They weren't really whistleblowers at all. In fact, they weren't even credible witnesses. Two or three people who are political operatives, but they're not whistleblowers. These guys are not whistleblowers, period. <laughs> they were not even human from what I hear. <laughs> so um, so the first cut where we're defending whistleblowers, uh, which president was that under? So we, we know it was under Trump, but I'm mm. think, I, I was trying to mm-hmm. be go even more specific and guess which whistleblower it was. And I'm, I'm guessing it was Vindman. But I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent. You know what? Don't buy a lottery ticket today because you have just won. Okay? Oh wow! Ding ding oh, ding! Wow. Yes, you get all so. of our love and affection for that. And uh, the second one where we attack the whistleblowers, where they're not even whistleblowers, <laughs> they're not human beings, they're Russian assets, was under President <laughs> Biden. Yay! You're so smart. <laughs> I tell you, you have to be really smart to play this game. But you know what's so funny about? I love the clown music. Because uh, the clown music with the montage is so good because, of course, that's what this is. They're clowns and they're just they, – they literally are, are – they've got the rubber shoes on and the red nose and the, the goofy hair. And they – for one thing, they do – they dress up as one clown and then they seamlessly run behind the curtain and then come back as a different clown. They're constantly changing costumes and that's how you wind up with these people. Well, it's not a whistleblower as we would consider a whistleblower, meaning this is a whistleblower who is uh, giving us testimony that is inconvenient exactly, for their side. Exactly. Inconvenient. So let's go to, speaking of inconvenient, uh, <laughs> the Republican <laughs> governor of New Hampshire, Chris Sununu. He was on uh, CNN this morning with Poppy Harlow, and he made a prediction. Here it is. I'm going to tell you, I don't think Joe Biden is the nominee in 24. And this is just one drop, many of the many drops in the bucket. No, 
I Who don't. Is? I think I think he's going to go through the primary process. I think he's going to collect all the delegates, and I think you're going to see a wild convention where where he and his people start steering the delegates somewhere else. I really believe that sincerely. I think it's a health thing. I think it's a, the Hunter Biden thing. They're doing everything to make sure that he doesn't have to testify and have to sit there in court and open all this other stuff. The whole book gets opened up if that process happens. Um, so look, I, I don't know whether it's a grand scheme. I'm not a conspiracy theorist by any means, but I just think that's the way it's playing out. I don't think Trump or Biden Quick. are on that ticket. Wow. Hmm. Do you agree with him? Um, I, I, I'm still sort of I'm not sure I agree with the second half of that on the first part of it. Um, I, you know, a year ago, I would have said, oh, no, Biden is it because Biden has given the far left everything that they have wanted. He has been the perfect president. He might be completely out to lunch, not there, you know, completely lost his marbles, doesn't know where he is or who he's talking to. But he has been the perfect president for the 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 uh the you know the far left of the party and so he is operating exactly on schedule in that department the problem is i think that but increasingly the problem is that that i think a lot of the the handful of sane cowardly democrats in the party who don't go along with all this stuff because it's bad politically um but are too cowardly to stand up to their own party and say we need to stop this nonsense and we need to start governing like sensible Democrats like, you know, from years ago, mm-hmm. um, that th- th- they're starting to get really worried about it. And but I, I, I don't know. You know, we always talk. We always uh, journalists, uh, reporters always want a brokered convention because it, it, it's like we've but it's been like this thing we've been waiting for. For political porn. Yeah, it's total political porn. Yep. And it's like it never happens. And I'm I'm a little bit I'm a little skeptical on on the on the Trump side of things. I I don't I don't I, I mean, I guess it's possible that something could happen. But, you know, obviously, and if we haven't learned anything over the past six years, anything can happen. But I I don't see what. You know, maybe, you know, Ron DeSantis has not worked out as uh, everyone predicted he would. Uh, Vivek is a is an incredibly um, I think that we're, we have not heard the last of him. And I think he is on the upswing. Um, but I, at the, I just don't see a way Trump gets moved out of the nomination between now and I mean, he, he's it's not like it's not like anybody doesn't know who he is. Right. See, my, my fear, I, I personally think the candidate's going to be Doug Burgum. Huh. Um, <laughs> I like that. I like that. The, it's those long odds where you make the most money. This is very true. Yeah, I'm not betting money on that. Um, <laughs> but Tim Scott's doing very well. He is trending. Yeah. He's trending up as well as Vivek. They're both trending up. I, uh, I, I, you know, Vivek is very much in Trump's mold. He yeah. is a businessman. And people are like, oh, he doesn't have foreign experience, you know, for any kind of foreign dealings that type of thing but he does he does in the same way that trump did yes right yes so and it's not that complicated these people these idiots like john Kerry and uh and and joe biden like to make it sound like it is so complex and that you have to like know all these things that you have to no actually you don't it's actually pretty simple it's actually not very complex you have to have a strong country and you have to and you have to nego- be able to have the wits to negotiate but they you know that so much uh bad stuff happens in our government because politicians are successful at bamboozling voters into think oh it's so complicated it's it's like actually it's really not you just have to you know you have to use some common sense 
and some principles. And that's all we're looking for. Yeah. And Ramaswamy is trending with independent voters and the 30 to 49 year old demographic, which is and, which and, is important. Yes. And, and the other thing that I think is really interesting about uh, Vivek is that um, he uh, is consistently if you if you do like ranked choice polling, um, he is consistently I think he gets like into the majority territory. Um, among people who know him, he still has zero name identity. It's kind of interesting. He's got like th- th- these polls are very twisted because of his low name ID. But uh, among people who know him, uh, he is I think he's like over 50 percent in um, as a second choice. Mm-hmm. And so if you go back to the thing that Sununu was talking about with, you know, I, I guess it's possible that something happens with Trump. Um, but but. I you know we haven't seen that these indictments are hurting him with the primary true and um and especially when you juxtapose it with what's going on uh, with Hunter Biden and all of the special kid glove treatment he gets from his father's DOJ it's it, it really does it sort of makes it even more interesting i think it i think it i think it uh makes people like trump more I think you are correct. All right, or maybe up, not we, like him more, but it makes a, makes people support him even though they don't particularly like him. They're just like, okay, if these people hate him so much, he must be doing something right. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I said when I was you know, looking at uh, you know, more indictments. I was like, I'm voting for him twice now. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. We've got more coming up with Charlie or Charles, and you are filling in for Brian on One Nation this weekend. That's right. So you don't want to miss that. I mean, not only is he incredibly witty and funny, he is devastatingly handsome as well. So you want to see that. Um, Jill Biden, well, I want to talk to you about her coming up. We've got some, some Dr. Biden. In- interesting news about the good doctor coming up in the Brian Kilmeade show. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. And in studio with me, Charlie Hurt, Fox News contributor, columnist for the Washington Times. Follow him on Twitter at Charles Hurt. And he will be sitting in the seat for uh, Brian. Almost forgot his name. Look, he's been gone, and, and I forgot his name already. <laughs> He'll be sitting in uh, the, the seat for, for Brian. Well, it's just that weekend. we're used to seeing him like three times a day, every day, seven days a week. So it's like... He he goes away for like two days, and it's like, who was that guy? Yeah, remember that everywhere. guy that was always he was always he he was always here. Yeah, kind of. Never mind. I'm not going to say it. I'm going to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before we run out of time here, because it's been so much fun, I just I just have a couple of minutes. Uh, so the first lady Jill Biden was married before. She was married to a guy named Bill Stevenson from 1970 to 1975, and they wound up getting divorced. And Bill Stevenson has resurfaced, and he alleges that Jill Biden 
uh, the now Jill Biden, when it was she was the Jill Jill Stevenson. She got married at 19. I mean, she's young. Um, was having an affair with Joe Biden, and that was the cause of their divorce. Cut 14, Eric. Here he is speaking with the Daily Mail. When did you first know that you were having an affair? Officially, I can almost pick the date because it involved Bruce Springsteen coming to the Stone Balloon. I had to go pay Bruce Springsteen in advance in the beginning of August 1974 for him to show up at the Stone Balloon the following week. I asked her to go with me and it shocked me when she said she had things to do. So that's pretty much all I can say about all that. And you knew then that the things you do were... I was told shortly after that. I was told by one of her best friends. That's what's even funnier yet. So now the Bidens, of course, uh, they they insist that they started dating after uh, after all of this, 1975. And according to her husband, it was 1974. Is anything that the Bidens say true? <laughs> I don't think so. It's been it's been a while since I've gone through this timeline, but I've been through it a couple of times. And everything the Bidens Bidens are saying that the Bidens now say about the timeline is wrong. They're lying about it. Um, and, and the reason they're lying about it is because the timeline is really, really bad for, for, uh, for their story. I mean, it's, it's, it's laughably untrue, which, you know, fast forward to today and you wonder how do they say things like the sky is green when everybody looks up and they see the sky is blue and, but the, but the, they never budge off of it. They, they've been telling these lies and, 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 you know, as you pointed out a minute ago, you know, with the help of the media, you know, sort of the media has gone along with this for for a long time. They tell these lies all the time and they get away with it. And so they keep telling them. Yeah, he, he said he's come forward now and he was on another network. And the reason he said he's coming forward now is because of something that's happening in the news. And this is uh, cut 12. Here's Bill Stevenson. Here is where the problem was. Frankie Biden of the Biden crime family comes <laughs> up to me and he goes, give her the house or you're going to have serious problems. I looked at Frankie and I said, are you threatening me? And uh, needless to say, about two months later, my brother and I were indicted for that tax charge for $8,200. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that great? So, So the Biden crime family uses the IRS to go after enemies uh, on both ends of their, of their, their political careers. It's kind of interesting. It's and, it's really believable. And he and his brother were hit for a lot less for, you know, of owing less money. They were hit with felony charges. And Hunter, who owed a heck of a lot more, got misdemeanors. But, hey, Hunter had somebody else to pay his taxes for him. So it's all good. That's very true. Charlie Hurd, thank you so much. Really appreciate you. you joining me. Don't forget to watch him in for Brian on One Nation this weekend. Have a great day, Charlie. Appreciate you being here. I'm Mary Walter for Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. They knew it was wrong. One of those Facebook executives said, this is a significant incursion into the boundaries of free expression. 
That is a fancy way of saying this violates the First Amendment, for goodness sake. But because they were, the White House was outraged because Jin Psaki stood there at the podium, what you just played in the White House and demanded this happen because the White House was demanding it and they wanted to keep their cozy relationship with the Biden administration. They censored First Amendment speech. That's what this clearly shows. And frankly, we got more documents that we're reviewing that I think are going to show it even more so. All right. That was Jim Jordan on with Laura Ingram last night talking about more censorship from Facebook, more of what we know. And so he tweeted out a whole uh, kind of like the, the Twitter files. He did the Facebook files, but he did it on Twitter. Are we supposed to call it X now? Whatever it is, um, Twitter. I can't change it. It's Twitter. Don't stop changing things. Um, here's what he said, and I'll share this with you. The Facebook files, part one, smoking gun docs prove Facebook censored Americans because of Biden White House pressure. Never before released internal documents subpoenaed by the Judiciary Committee prove that Facebook and Instagram censored posts and changed their content moderation policies because of unconstitutional pressure from the Biden White House. During the first half of 2021, social media companies like Facebook faced tremendous pressure from the Biden White House, both publicly and privately, to crack down on alleged misinformation. In April 2021, a Facebook employee circulated an email for Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg and COO Sheryl Sandberg writing, we are facing continued pressure from external stakeholders, including the Biden White House, to remove posts. Uh, And it's regarding uh, more COVID-19 vaccine discouraging content, it says in the email. In another April 2021 email from Nick Clegg, who's Facebook's president for global affairs, in that email, he informed his team at Facebook that Andy Slavitt, a senior advisor to President Biden, was, quote, outraged that Facebook did not remove uh, a particular post. Um, He attached, let's see. This is, again, about vaccines. So he was upset that this vaccine info was not being censored. The White House was. What did the Biden White House want removed? They wanted removed a meme. That's right. Even memes weren't spared from the Biden White House's censorship efforts. Now, it is a meme of Leonardo DiCaprio dressed like the 1950s sitting in a chair. He's got a beer in his hand, a cigarette, and he's clearly watching TV and he's pointing at the TV and it says, did you or a loved one take the COVID vaccine? You may be entitled dot, dot, dot. Like it's like it's an advertisement for some kind of lawsuit, right? That's what they wanted censored. When Clegg countered, quote, countered that removing content like that would represent a significant incursion into traditional boundaries of free expression in the U.S., Slavit disregarded the warning and the First Amendment. And here's what it says. I countered that removing content like that would represent a significant incursion into traditional boundaries of free expression in the U.S., but he replied that the post was directly comparing COVID vaccines to asbestos poisoning in a way which demonstrably inhibits confidence in COVID vaccines amongst those the Biden administration is trying to reach. This was 2021. Jim Jordan goes on. What happened next? 
Facebook panicked. In another April 2021 email, Brian Rice, Facebook's VP of Public Policy, raised the concern that Slavit's challenge felt, quote, very much like a crossroads for us with the Biden White House in these early days. But Facebook wanted to repair its relationship with the White House to avoid adverse reaction. Quote from, e- this is all from emails, given what is at stake here, it would also be a good idea if we could regroup and take stock of where we are in relations with the White House and our internal methods too. Jim Jordan continues, this wasn't the first time that the Biden White House was angry that Facebook didn't censor more. According to these documents, the Biden White House demanded to know why Facebook had not censored a video from Tucker Carlson. So Facebook prepped its response to appease the Biden White House. Talking points were drafted for Clegg. Facebook was ready to tell the White House that it had demoted a video posted by Tucker Carlson by 50 percent in response to the White House's demands, even though the post didn't violate any policy. It says here, here are the talking points. How was this Tucker Carlson's post not violative? How did it, how did it not violate? It says, while we remove content that explicitly directs people to not get the vaccine, as well as content that contains explicit misrepresentations about vaccines, we reviewed this content in detail and it does not violate those policies. Moreover, you say reduced and demoted by 50%. This is what they're going to tell the White House. So what does that mean? There's 40,000 shares on the video. Who's seeing it now? How many? How effective? The video is receiving 50% demotion for seven days as it is in the queue to be fact-checked. So they decided, okay, we're going to do a half measure with the White House. We're not going to totally censor it and violate everyone's First Amendment rights. We're just going to violate First Amendment rights halfway. So... Yay. I'm not quite sure how to take that. Jim Jordan goes on. In July 2021, President Biden publicly denounced Facebook and other social media platforms claiming that they were killing people by not censoring, censoring alleged misinformation. Facebook admitted it was going to change its policies because of pressure from the Biden White House. August 2nd, 2021, Facebook's leadership asked Misinfo Policy to brainstorm some additional policy levers we can pull. This is a quote to be more aggressive against misinformation. This is stemming from the continued criticism of our approach from the Biden administration. Um, They're looking for internally creative options, as they're calling them. We quote they in the email, they say we've been sprinting over the past several days and have both dusted off some ideas we've previously discussed with our product counterparts and come up with some new ideas. Now, Facebook also changed their policies in direct response from pressure from Biden's Surgeon General to censor members of, quote, the disinformation dozen, as they call them. And it says, during that discussion, we agreed to further explore four discrete policy options for reducing the prevalence of COVID misinformation on our platform. Jordan says, these documents and others that were produced to the committee prove that the Biden administration abused its powers to coerce Facebook into censoring Americans, preventing free and open discourse on issues of critical public importance. Only after the committee announced its intention to hold Zuckerberg in contempt did Facebook produce any internal documents to the committee, including these documents, which prove that government pressure was directly responsible for censorship on Facebook. 
Based on Facebook's newfound commitment to fully cooperate with the committee's investigation, the committee has decided to hold contempt in abeyance for now. To be clear, contempt is still on the table and will be used if Facebook fails to cooperate in full. And his last tweet says, to be continued. Now, I will tell you, Facebook is awful with censorship. I've kind of really drifted away from Facebook. Just before the 2020 election, I retweeted a Fox News piece on voting in New Jersey. And I got censored and I was t- I was deplatformed. I couldn't go on my Facebook account. I couldn't post anything. I could read, but I couldn't post anything until after the election. I posted a Fox News article. There was nothing in the article that was consp- consp- you know, cons- conspiracy theory, nothing like that. It was just about voting in New Jersey and how they're you know, sending um, ballots to every single house, whether you asked for them or not, but yet you could still vote in person and how confusing it was for people. That was the article. And I got censored on Facebook. I mean, Facebook to me is far worse than Twitter ever was. Then again, on Twitter, I kind of walked a fine line. I kind of knew what I could and couldn't post on Twitter. But Facebook, I've been shocked. So good to see that the administration's going after that, you know, Republicans are going after them. But notice the problem with all of this, with everything, is we knew it's been happening, but the Republicans are so far behind that they just keep doing it. Look at the judicial system. Look what's happening. We know it's a two-tiered system of justice. We're watching it play out before our very eyes. But they know that the Republicans are so far behind in getting any kind of proof that it's going to be a couple of years before they get it. So they can carry all of this out now in front of us in broad daylight and don't care that we see it because they know there nothing's going to happen for another couple of years because they're going to stonewall. They're not going to give any information, right? They're going to play the game of delay, delay, delay. And by the time the GOP gets there, if they still have any kind of power left, the people responsible are long gone. So the problem here is Republicans are so far behind and there are so many, there's so many heads to the beast that you can't cut them all off at the same time. So I'm I'm glad that he put that out there. I just don't know if it changes anything or if it does, it takes so long and the damage is already done. They got what they wanted. You know, the end justifies the means for them. So they don't care. And no one's going to be held responsible for censoring Americans first amendment rights. It's just going to be a, well, we'll never do it again. Sorry, our bad. And then they're going to do it again. And a couple of years down the road, they'll get caught and it's going to be the same thing over and over. Makes me sad. All right, if you want to comment, 866-408-7669. I'll get to some of your calls here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. A lot going on. Uh, some news here. I don't know if you heard since we're always talking about the two-tiered system of justice that the left keeps telling us doesn't exist. And, you know, you are just a bunch of whiners. Uh, FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried, remember that name? Remember that guy? Uh, he's no longer going to face a campaign finance charge at his criminal trial in October. Here's the reason. Prosecutors told U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan in a letter that the government in the Bahamas notified them on Wednesday that authorities there did not consider the charge to be included in his extradition. 
so the prosecutors wrote they can't pursue it at the trial because of our treaty obligations with the Bahamas, which I thought is so interesting. So they say it's there's a thing called a warrant of surrender and the campaign violate campaign finance laws violation of campaign finance laws was not in the warrant of surrender. So permitting the charge to proceed against him would set a, quote, concerning precedent that would enable prosecutors to engage in a bait and switch so that they obtain the extradition of a defendant by including charges they know the extraditing country will approve of and then add charges at a later date that the country would disapprove of. So um, good for you, Sam Bankman-Fried. It is good to be a Democrat donor. Good for you. Uh, let's quickly go to Charles and Stewart, Florida, to talk about the border here quickly. Charles, you are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hello. Yes, can you hear me? I sure can. Go. Okay. Um, anyway, I got two, two good points that you don't hear nobody talking about on the Republican side, and I'm shocked. But anyway, the southern border with the illegals coming in, if the Democrats are so concerned about the environment, why are they overpopulating the country with 7 million people, which is going to destroy the country already? But another thing is they so they care so much about the environment. Have you seen that border? It's trashed with litter. Mm-hmm. There's like there's, I'm sure there's songbirds who nest down there. They don't really care for the environment. They care about greed and overpopulating the country with illegals for votes. And nobody's talking about that. Well, I've, I've seen I've seen on Fox, I've seen pictures of all the trash left behind and things like that. It's not being talked about because the left doesn't want it talked about. The media is not going to cover it, just like they're not covering the whales that are dying off the east coast of this country in record numbers, these endangered whales and the dolphins, because um, they'd rather have the wind farms. That's more important. So they have their victims you know, hierarchy of victimhood and the environment has clearly moved down a couple of pegs, you know, when it come because it's more important to get people into this country illegally. It's more important to flood this country with illegals um, because you upset the, the, you know, the economic structure of the country, you strain it, you break it, the government comes in and saves you. So that's what's happening. And I've seen it covered. So I don't know. I've seen it, especially on Fox. I've seen Griff down there. Uh, I've seen Bill Malugin down there. And they will frequently show you all the garbage, especially the IDs that they all leave behind because they want to start anew and they don't want anyone to know their identity. But you bring up a good point, Charles. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate you joining me. Let's quickly go to Ben in Indiana. Hey, Ben, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hey, Mary. How's it going? It's great Hi. to be on today. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, so um, you, you said earlier that we're um, Republicans are behind uh, yes. Democrats on a lot of um, election issues, and I agree. I wanted to point out a few other areas that we're far behind on, and it makes me worry for the twenty four the twenty twenty four election. Honestly, so um, first of all, we just now decide to embrace ballot harvesting. We're about two years we're about two three years too late on that. Okay, so we just now decide to embrace that. Okay, but. Um, our schools, like right now, our schools, about 90 percent of schools are controlled by the radical left. They're manufacturing Democrats as we speak. OK, that's one area we're behind. Another area. What are we going to do about you know, we, we all know this is public record. Mark Zuckerberg spent 300 million to influence the election in 2020. What's our counter for that? Do we have a plan? You know, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about that. And that worries me. He spent 300 million. To influence the election, to benefit Democrats, it's a public record. We all know this. How do we counteract that? I haven't heard that from Trump. Yeah. 
Santa's anybody else? What are we doing? It's a great question. And people have been screaming at Ronna McDaniel. You're like, could you please do something here? But I just don't think she's the best person for the job. I'm sorry. I just don't. I, I don't think she performed well last time around. And that why, why get reelected to the job if you didn't do it well the last time? Give somebody else a chance. There's a guy named Scott Pressler who is all over the ballot harvesting. And he is a ground operation. And he started, in, I think, in Baltimore doing this. And they should be they should be picking his brain. They should be giving this man a job to roll out what he does on a local level to do it on a national level. Right. We have people out there who are doing it. Let's do it. And to your point and Ben, thank you. We got to run. We're up against the clock here. But thank you so much. Um, Donald Trump is formally now backing the RNC's program called Bank Your Vote Initiative. And what they're urging Republicans to do is get out and vote early. He said that, you know, Republicans are working on our values, but Democrats funded by the far left are focusing on collecting ballots. That's all they want to do. And it turns out that it's not such a bad idea. It has to change for us to win in 2024. And I think he's right. You know, I said to my husband, we can, for the first time, we can vote early in New Jersey. And um, I, you know, that was not just not something we do. Republicans tend to vote on the day of the election. But there are two places we could go vote early near us, not in our town, but near us. I said, Next time, we're going to go vote early, and I'm going to the Democrat dis- district because there was, like, one that's really Democrat-leaning. Was really pro- so I'm going to the Democrat one. I'm going to go vote early over there because I'm pretty sure those votes are, you know, going to be secure. I think that's my best bet. So why not? Why not do it? And he says it gives the – by voting early, it, the rep- Democrats go into these um, elections with a big lead. And then somehow they vote early, but they also vote really late, too, because all the, all the ballots that come trickling in at the end. But um, it's an interesting thought, and I think the president's on to something here when he says, yeah, you may not like the rules of the game, but sometimes you got to play by them. I'm Mary Walter, and you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. And welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yes, I am Mary Walter sitting in the seat for Brian. You can find me on Twitter at Mary Walter Radio. And I do have a podcast on Tuesdays. 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. It is live on YouTube and Getter, and you can comment and join in. And then the audio is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Again, just look for Mary Walter Radio. Outside of everything that's going on politically, like what we think of as politics, like uh, Biden and Trump and elections and that type of stuff, there's, there's also an undercurrent of other things going on, and it's the federal government and health. And in two different lanes, we saw it yesterday. And here to discuss that with us is Dr. Jeanette Neshwat. She's a Fox News medical contributor, family and emergency medicine doctor, and the founder of bcboost.com. Follow her at Dr. Jeanette. Dr. Jeanette, thank you for joining me. Good morning, Mary. Great to be with you today. So there's a lot a lot of ground we have to cover here. One of the things I want to start out with is the focus is on of course on Joe Biden's age. And I'm a big fan of you can be elderly and still have all your faculties and have all your marbles. My my husband's great aunt died at 107 and she and her sisters were doing the New York Times crossword puzzle when they were in their hundreds, okay? My grandfather physically, you know, he had he had his bum knee, but his mentally 
He was absolutely there with it, sharp as a whip. You know, he, he was great. So to me, age is, is mutable and everybody ages in different ways. So Joe Biden, though, seems to be aging in a more in a mental way to me as opposed to a physical. It seems to be more mental. And there are some whispers now in D.C. about maybe Joe can't do another four years. So our, the, what we see coming from Joe Biden and here, here's here's just a montage of some of what Joe Biden uh, has said. And we're seeing more of his verbiage, I think, declining. Here's Joe. Cut, cut number 23. Let's go late and lick the world. For Muslim, for, we cheer for Muslim athletes like Kareem al and 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 Joan, Shengang, I'm going to pronounce right, Shanga, Koawa. Ban on transgender Americans, transgender Americans. I met alone with him, just he and I, and a simultaneous interpreter, 68 times, 68 hours, 68 times, more than 68 hours. All right, God save the Queen, man. Now, some of those things, you know, he couldn't get names right. I get it. That happens to a lot of people, you know, especially with foreign names. Um, I, I understand. I think some of this was just him flubbing the line. I don't necessarily think it was a mental issue. But are we starting to see more mental decline in the president? Absolutely, without a doubt, and we shouldn't be whispering about it. This should be a front and center issue. I mean, this is our commander in chief. He is leading our country of more than 300 million Americans. We rely on him. And so we need to make sure that he's physically fit, mentally fit, and emotionally fit. Um, and so it's really, it's hard to see. It, it, you know, I cringe sometimes when I see the mistakes that he, he made, not just with what he said, but with his behavior as well. You know, it, it can be a normal part of aging to see some confusion once you reach um, the, over the age of 65. We tend to see that. Our bodies naturally, you know, break down. And some people, it's, you know, faster than others. Just, for example, you know, your 100-year-old uh, relative. But we have to keep in mind with, with Joe Biden, he has a medical history. He has a history of atrial fibrillation, which makes him more prone to heart uh, problems and strokes, which affects your brain, which affects your thinking. If you recall, he's had a history of aneurysm repairs. This is the blood vessels in his brain. And then, you know, we saw that also physically, he's falling off of his bike. His balance is not good. He's stumbling on stage. You saw with the sandbag, his gait is stiffened. These could all be progressive neurological problems. Um, and, you know, little mistakes that he's made, they're, they're actually not little, in my opinion. There is evidence, clear evidence of cognitive decline, uh, mental decline. You know, when he was talking about the war in, uh, in Ukraine, he said the war in Iraq. Yeah, and he, he didn't even that. realize that. It, it, he was asked, where were, what was your last country you visited? He didn't remember that he was just in Ireland. He had to get help from, you know, uh, someone in the audience. If you recall, he called out looking in the audience for the congresswoman who passed away not too long ago in a car accident, unfortunately. And then if you look at his behavior as well, remember when he was on the set of MSNBC and he just walked off uh, the set after his interview, which indicates a lack of social awareness, a lack of social etiquette. These are signs of, you know, uh, cognitive decline, confusion, early dementia. And it makes sense why his wife, Jill Biden, doesn't want him to undergo a, a mini mental or mental status exam because 
I don't think he would do very well on it, to be honest with you, Mary. And and this is, you know, coming from a, a perspective as a doctor, politics aside, if I saw a patient, if I had a patient in his situation, I would want him to rest, retire, enjoy life, not strain himself, not put right. himself in a position to fall again or to hurt himself or to make a, a, an embarrassment of himself on, on a global stage. It, it's really difficult to see. You know, speaking of falling, we have uh, Mitch McConnell freezing up during that presser where he just trailed off into nothingness and was just staring. And he didn't leave totally. He just stepped to the side. But we now know that earlier this month he fell while disembarking from a plane at Reagan in D.C. So, And we know he had a fall last year as as well. And that's something that I notice you know, when people get older. Once you start the falling, you're like, okay. It, like I just look at some you know elderly people that I know who have passed, yeah. the falling, the falling. Falling is like the, the, the beginning of the end in my book. Then you have Diane Feinstein yesterday on Capitol Hill. This is cut 24, uh, where she had to be helped with casting a ballot. Senator Feinstein. Um, say aye. Pardon me? Aye. Yeah. Uh, say- I, I would like to support a yes vote on this. And it funds priorities submitted. Yeah, just say aye. Okay, just aye. And she had to be told, just say aye, just say aye, just say aye. This is the problem, you know. I hope she wanted to vote yes on it. Oh, my goodness. You know, if I were her staffers, I would have let her continue instead of, you know, making it more obvious that she she made a mistake. But she's 92 years old, and she was hospitalized recently for severe complications of shingles. And those severe complications, guess what? It was inflammation of her brain, Mary, inflammation of your brain. You know that's going to have an impact on your thinking, on confusion, on memory. So, again, you know, at, when you get to the point when you're 92 years old and you're, you're not able to, you know, perform your duties, uh, we need to consider, you know, letting someone else step in, someone who is, is energized, who is vibrant, who has the mental and physical capacity to do the best job that they can to lead our country. Uh, it was difficult to watch that. But, you know, when I saw McConnell, oh, my goodness, I, I saw that happening. And if you recall, yeah, he had a fall. And he had a concussion and if you have a traumatic brain injury a con- uh, and a concussion you're at increased risk of seizures so i think that's what happened to him he may have had a, a mini seizure or a spasming of the blood vessels in his brain um, as part of me thought that maybe he was about to collapse was it something coming from his heart that he was just trying to hold on and i, I was really disheartened to see that Uh, He wasn't taken immediately for uh, evaluation. That should have been done because, you know, something's going on. Something has happened, and it could happen again. And we don't want to see our leaders, uh, you know, collapse on on the stage. Because remember, whether it's Joe Biden or our top senators or, or anyone, other countries are watching. Iran, China, Russia, North Korea, they are watching every move we make. And when they see weakness on our behalf, that's when they strike. When they see weakness, that's when they invaded Ukraine. And so we've got to put an an end to this. Age matters. Um, Well, I shouldn't say the age matters. It's your cognitive uh, status that matters. You know, like you look at Donald Trump, he's almost 80. 
he is alert, awake, coherent, and he's shrewd and sharp, and he's been a lot for our country. But it, and on the other hand, look at Joe Biden. He's not shrewd. He's slow. He's sluggish. And that's not the type of leader that we can afford to have right now. No, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, and along those lines, you know, uh, very quickly here, Nicole Wallace uh, was ta- uh, equated, you know, what McConnell did with what Biden did and whether he would be impeached. Here's Nicole Wallace. I'm just going to say it because it needs to be said. I wish him well. I, I, I wish no ill health on any human being in the arena or outside of it. And if this were Joe Biden, there would be impeachment proceedings underway for Centus Interruptus. For Centus Interruptus, he would be impeached. And, you know, they were all over Donald Trump 25th Amendment. They demanded he take cognitive tests, etc. Joe Biden, though, of course, none of that applies. Uh, coming up, I would like to discuss, just kind of dip into the gender-affirming care hearings that were held yesterday as well. There was some really emotional testimony from Chloe Cole and others. And um, I just want to get your opinion on that. And I don't know. I don't know if I want the government telling parents everything that they should do with their kids. So, but I'll get your opinion on that coming up. We're with Dr. Jeanette Neshwat here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. Joining us is Dr. Jeanette Neshwat. She's a Fox News medical contributor, family and emergency medicine doctor, and the founder of bcboost.com. Follow her on Twitter at Dr. Jeanette. Uh, yesterday, there was a hearing. Uh, with the, in front of the House Judiciary Committee on the dangers and due process violations of gender-affirming care for children. And Chloe Cole is now uh, pretty famous. She's kind of the face of detransitioning. She's now 19 years old, and she started transitioning when she was first 11. You know, she first came to her parents at 11 and left a note on the table saying that she wanted to um, transition. And she claims, and her family claims, that this is the way the physicians led there. Like, oh, this is what you have to do. So um, I want you to hear some of her testimony yesterday. And this this is in response. This is cut 19. This is in response to a woman named Paula Scanlon, who um, who uh, is, is a parent and wanted, you know, believes in transitioning. And, and her son now she transitioned and she believes that it saved uh, his life. So here's Chloe, Chloe responding to that. I mean, I think every parent deserves the most, the utmost grace and guidance with how to help their child. That being said, I don't wish for a child to have the same result as I did. I don't wish for anybody to regret transition or to detransition because it's incredibly difficult. It comes with its own difficulties and it's not easy. And I hope that her child gets to have a happy and fulfilling adulthood. And correction, that that was in response to Miriam Reynolds is the mother of the biologically female who transitioned to male. And I thought that, that Chloe exhibited a lot of grace there saying, look, you know, I, I, I give every parent, I, give, I wish them the utmost grace and guidance to help with their child. And she said, but I don't wish your child the same results 
that I had. And I think for some children it does work. Uh, Dr. Neshwat, what do you think about this? Should, should the government be deciding what parents can and can't do when it comes to their kids and transitioning? Yeah, you know, this is really heartbreaking what's happened. I think what's important is to know the facts, Mary. And, and the facts are that two-thirds of young children um, are happy with the way God made them after puberty. And knowing that, we, we do need to be protective of children, knowing the facts, um, and, and to prevent, you know, potential severe risks and side effects of transitioning or using these hormones, these medications, puberty blockers. For example, infertility, lifelong infertility can occur, depression, mental illness, suicide is very prominent in, in this group of people. They can have lifelong bone problems. If they undergo surgery, they have severe wounds that are difficult to heal due to the location of where the surgery occurs. A lot of them experience loss of libido or urinary issues or uh, issues with their digestive system. Again, because of the uh, type of surgical procedures that are involved. So I think it's important if you understand the facts, then everyone hopefully would be understanding that our number one goal and priority is to protect our children and to make sure that we're doing everything in their best interest. You know, if I have a patient that comes in um, who is confused about their gender, the first thing we do is not rush them to the operating room for surgery or push surgery or, or hormones upon them. The first thing we do is we conduct a very detailed history and physical. We do lab work. We check their thyroid levels. We check their hormone levels. Um, we, uh, you know, we see is there anything off that might make them feel the way they feel. And then we look to see is there any underlying depression or anxiety or any other underlying mental um, disease going on. And we provide them counseling and therapy first. That's the first thing you do. You don't rush straight into medications and hormones and surgery. So I think that's what really what needs to be our focus is making sure we're doing things in the best manner and starting off with extremely conservative measures first, meaning therapy, counseling, um, that sort of thing, not jumping straight into these extreme, potentially dangerous, life-threatening, and irreversible procedures. So I think it should be a step-by-step -step process and, again, understanding the facts that um, most children, um, once they hit puberty, they're happy with the way they are and um, are glad that they did not go through the transitioning phase in the first place. Yeah, and I think, listen, I think puberty is not a good time. Nobody wants to go back to middle school ever again. And I always maintain that you can break Guantanamo prisoners if you put them in an, in an eighth grade lunchroom. Lunch. Because they're horrible people. Um, <laughs> and, and it's a tough time of life. But I, I guess looking at those hearings, you know, she you got two different sides. She's asking the government to protect kids, to not allow this to happen. And I wish that doctors did it the way, you know, you're talking about. But even for kids, I just don't personally don't think it's appropriate for children. But that being said, I also don't like the government telling parents what they should right. do with their kids, right? Like, yeah. so I kind of go back and forth on the whole thing. As a doctor, yeah. you want to be able, you're the one on the hook. You're going to be the one who gets sued. So you want to be able to make your decisions, I would assume. And right, I write right, about how I want to treat this patient. If I don't want to treat this patient at all, if I don't want to do and, this at all. Right. And I think that's why it's important that doctors, you know, make sure that the decisions they make for they, that they put upon their patients it should be a, a discussion 
have a discussion. Make sure you have a doctor that listens and, and understands you and provides you with all the facts and the details. And you're right. We, we don't want government overreach. We, we want less government in our lives, whether it comes to gender-affirming care or the type of stoves that we use. Uh, but I think the, the, the job of the physician is to ensure that they educate parents with all the facts and all the details so that they make the best decisions for themselves, for their for their child. Because ultimately, it, it doesn't just impact the child. It impacts the entire family and the community as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're going to continue this, this topic on the other side here. Dr. Jeanette Neshwat, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your insight. Have a great day. My pleasure. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. All right. We'll take your calls coming up 866-408-7669 on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. You can follow me on Twitter at Mary Walter Radio. You can find my podcasts on YouTube and get her also Mary Walter Radio. And uh, they air live 7.15 on Eastern Time on YouTube and get her. And you can join in in the evening. And uh, the audio is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Love to hear from you. Also love to hear from you on this as well, 866-408-7669. The uh, House Judiciary Subcommittee had a hearing on the dangers and due process violations of gender-affirming care for children. And there seems to be a push, depending on uh, where you go with your child. You know, your parent, your child says, um, I'm uncomfortable, I'm a gay, I'm a boy, I'm a girl, you know, whatever it happens to be, however they approach you. And you're like, okay, well, let's figure this out. And you go to a doctor. And that's what happened with Chloe Cole. And she underwent an irreversible double mastectomy when she was only 15 years old. And she is now suing Kaiser Foundation Hospitals, Permanente Medical Group, and the doctors who she claims pushed her along the path. And uh, she alleges that her mental health issues were not properly taken into consideration. She was not fully able to consent to these irreversible procedures. And as a young teen, she had no concept of whether she might one day want to be a mother. All of those things are totally valid. And, and I look at myself, I grew up with brothers, everybody in the neighborhood were boys. There was one girl who lived across the street from me. She was a little bit younger than I, but everybody my age were all boys. I was the penultimate a tomboy. I would, we had tree forts. We were in the woods. We were, you know, I learned how to shoot. I, it just like, and I always thought boys had way cooler toys than girls. I had scat cars and matchbox cars and the whole thing just because I was surrounded by boys and I hated being a girl and I didn't want to be a girl and I, puberty was miserable for me. I hated it. I didn't want to wear a dress and my parents, thank God, my parents looked at me and said, you're going to grandma's, put the dress on. That's it. They knew I'd grow out of it. They knew it was a phase. Nobody wants to go through puberty. If you gave me a million dollars to go through puberty again, I'd be like, no, thank you. Don't want to do that again. It's miserable. It's embarrassing. You're awkward. It's terrible. You got acne and your legs are too long and your feet are too big and you're awkward. And and then, of course, there's the one person who just glides through it and is just gorgeous and stunningly beautiful through the whole thing. And you're like, oh. 
And then when you get older, you learn to just hope when you finally see them again at a reunion or like on Facebook or something that they got fat. (laughs) You just kind of hope that there was some cosmic justice in the world. So should the government be involved in this? Should the government say no? If your kid's under the age of 18, they can't have what we call gender-affirming care, which I don't like that term because, again, we're letting the left uh, control the conversation. I don't like a gender-affirming care. It's it's not gender-affirming. You are totally mutilating your child's body, putting them through a chemical process. We're going to find out 20 years down the road what the long-term effects of this are. And I think you're just going to see the pendulum swing the other way as these kids come through puberty and they get to the other side. They're going to be like Chloe Cole here. Now, part of the insanity here, before I get to more from Chloe, is um, the fact that they don't even have to go through the care. They can just say, oh, I'm a woman. And we've, we've erased women. Women no longer exist. It's men. You have a men's room. And then it's women and men who feel like going in the women's room or men who today feel like they're women. Women don't exist anymore. We've decided in the span of like two years that there's no such thing as a woman. Men still exist because you don't see a lot of women transitioning to men. You just don't see that. And I wonder why. But you see a boatload of men transitioning to women, right? And men who are just dressing up like women and walking out in the street in the whole nine yards. So what is the effect of women by a biological male, not a guy who's going through transitioning and getting breasts and the whole bit and, you know, having, having genital surgery, all that, a a true biological male in their space. So Paula Scanlon, Scanlon is a former Penn State swimmer and she was on Capitol Hill and she was discussing what it was like to have to change with a biological male one Leah Thomas in the dressing room being on the team with her. This is cut 18. I read Miss Scanlon's testimony. I wasn't here to hear it. And I think Penn didn't deal with your situation like they could have and should have in putting up some type of different barriers in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the women's area of, of the locker room. Miss Scanlon, we just heard my Democrat colleague, Mr. Cohen, say that your circumstance could have been fully resolved if we'd have just had some barriers up in the sh- in the women's showers. Do, do you think that that's a sufficient way to resolve what we're dealing with here? I think by um, Representative Cohen admitting that we need barriers acknowledges there are biological differences between men and women. And by acknowledging that we need to have private spaces that are separate from each other, why can't we just use the locker rooms that we've always used, the men's and the women's? If you're acknowledging that we need protection and privacy from these men, then you're acknowledging that the locker rooms we've always used are the correct ones. Boom. That was the mic drop from the whole hearing yesterday. Wait, so you're saying we need protection. So you're saying there's a difference between men and women. So why can't we just go back to where we were before? I thought that was perfect. It was brilliant on her part. You know, I, I don't know. Again, we've just erased women. And I don't know how we got here, and I don't know why this is suddenly okay. So let's go back to Chloe Cole on Capitol Hill yesterday. We're going to go to Cut 20, and here she is describing the physical changes that she went to at 15. As I said, she went through a double mastectomy, and now she's talking about the long-term effects of that choice. Before I was able to legally drive, I I had a huge part of my future womanhood taken from me. I will never be able to breastfeed. I struggle to look at myself in the mirror at times. 
I, I, I still struggle to this day with sexual dysfunction. And I have massive scars across my chest. And the skin grafts that they use, that they took of my nipples, are weeping fluid today. And they were grafted into a more masculine positioning, they said. After surgery, my grades in school plummeted. Everything that I went through did nothing to address my underlying mental health issues that I had. And my doctors, with their theories on gender, thought that all my problems would go away as soon as I was surgically transformed into something that vaguely resembled a boy. And she also talked about how her face has changed permanently. Her chin is more pointed. Her nose is longer, and that's never going to go away. She talked away about um, how her her voice is never going to go back to what it should be as a woman, that her voice will always be lower. So when they tell you that these oh, these are totally reversible, they're not. These changes are not totally reversible, especially if you're taking them as a child. If you're taking these drugs as a child, when your body is changing and growing, it's not going to go back. Now, later in life, I don't know. And later in life, I don't care. If you choose to make these decisions later in life and that's, this is what you want to do. God bless you. Go, go be you. I don't care, but I don't think we should be doing this to children. There's a lot of things we make kids wait till the age of 18 to do. So why can't you let them wait until they get through puberty, they get to the other side, and then if this is something they want to do, let them do it. And the parents are like, yes, but they're miserable now. Okay, sometimes you're miserable in life. Sometimes you, you'll have bad months. Sometimes you have a bad year, right? Sometimes you just look back. Even the Queen of England said she had a bad year. Remember her horriblest uh, animus or a, 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 whatever, but she had a bad year. She's the the Latin phrase for it. Um, when with Charles and Diana and Andrew and Fergie and all that. So even the queen of England has bad years. So having your kid have a bad year, it's kind of normal. If you want to jump in eight, six, six, four, zero, eight, seven, six, six, nine. I, I, I'm kind of the libertarian in me kind of doesn't want the government involved in this when it comes to telling you what you can and can't do with your child. But I also think that someone needs to protect kids and waiting until you're 18. I, it, for me is preferred this cut 21. She talks about puberty and this, I think it's the crux of it is kids go through puberty. They're miserable. It's a tough time. So they want to change themselves, right? I want, I want to change who I am because I hate who I am right now. I hate the way I look. This is horrible. So they want to change. And here's what she talks about the effects of that and when she felt when she went through it. We need to stop telling children that puberty is an option. That they can choose what kind of puberty they will go through. Just they can choose what clothes to wear or what music to listen to. Puberty is a rite of passage to adulthood, not a disease to be mitigated. Doctors are human too, and sometimes they are wrong. My childhood was ruined along with thousands of detransitioners that I know through our networks. This needs to stop. You alone can stop it. Enough children have already been victimized by this barbaric pseudoscience. Please let me be your final warning. What I thought was interesting, and her testimony, if you can go back and listen to it, I highly suggest you do. It was just amazing. It was it's just so gut-wrenching. And But what she said, you know, they what kind of let them choose it's not an option that they can choose what kind of puberty they're going to go through just like they can choose what clothes or music to listen to and i just laughed at that because when i was growing up 
my parents didn't allow me to choose the clothes or music I was listening to. When I got, if I wanted a new album, my mother wanted, who is it? And, and you know, what are the songs? And then she would take the, and this is back in the day of albums, she would take it and she'd look and look at the words. And then I got a thumbs up or a thumbs down and she'd be like, oh, I'm really sorry I spent your money on that because you're not allowed to listen to it. And clothing, I wasn't allowed to just wear anything I wanted. That didn't happen in our household. My father was the last line of defense. And if he saw something, he would be like, and go back and change. And that was it. And you went back and changed or you didn't leave the house. It was that simple. If we do that with kids, why wouldn't we do something like this? Why don't we say to none of them, no, I'm sorry, honey, you're not cutting your breasts off today. Sorry, not your day. Go back to your room and try again. But does, do we need the government, though, to get involved to tell us that? You know, for the parents who let their kids do whatever they want, do we need the government getting involved in that? 866-408-7669. I'm Mary Walter, and you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. There's no topic he won't touch, and there's no opinion he won't engage. One of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. We're, we're talking about the hearing yesterday on uh, the dangers and due process violations of gender affirming care for children. I uh, was the House Judiciary Subcommittee. And just two things, uh, having a conversation here, and Eric brought up a great point. He goes, you know, there's a reason why we don't let kids under the age of 18 get a tattoo. It's irreversible. Yeah, you can have that laser treatment later in life, but it still can leave scarring and it changes your skin. It's it's not totally reversible. And someone else, somebody, Murr, uh, sent me a, a video on Twitter, and it's it's a conversation between a woman named Helen Joyce, who is British, and Peter Bogassian, I think it is. And um, she said, you know, this is a social contagion. This is what she's saying. It's a social contagion, this idea of transitioning your children. And she said, this is never going to go away because parents who have transitioned their children, you know, especially male to female, which is the vast majority of this, want their young boys, biological boys, to, to be accepted as women. And when women don't accept them as women, as equals, those parents are going to continue to fight for their children because they facilitated something that they can't reverse now, that they can't change. They can't put their kid back to what they were before. And so this is going to go on for the next, you know, 30, 40 years because these parents now, when you get to the other side of this, if your kid's not happy or your kid's not accepted now in their new body, the parents feel guilt and the parents are going to forever fight for this now. Let's quickly go to Tom in Lake City, Florida. Tom, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Good morning. How are you today? Doing good. Go ahead. I, I just think it's absolutely disgusting that, uh, that we are letting adults treat their children like this. I mean, it is, it's child abuse in the, in the worst sense. And, uh, and, you know, a lot of people will go to a doctor with trumped up uh, problems so that they can get certain drugs. And doctors are trained to see that, to see through that. Uh, a lot of places you go, when something happens, you automatically go into a protocol. And that's what should happen here. When somebody wants to, to get this type of surgery, we already know what's going to happen. We already know that, that 
a lot of people are not going to be happy with. The kids don't know what they're doing. So if if they would go into a protocol that would bring them into a mental health situation where they start to go through, a lot of times you can't even get a divorce. You have to be separated for six months or so and go to counseling before you can get a divorce. So why not put them through counseling now through this? One would think that that would be the same thing that would happen, and that's one of the things that Chloe Cole said. She said, my mental health issues were never addressed. I was just fast-tracked to, oh, you want to be a boy? Sure, here you go. And at, at the end, she started this at 11. Her breasts were cut off when she was – well, she first started 11. I think she first got to hormones at 13, and then her breasts were removed when she was 15. Who lets an 11-year-old make any kind of big decision? Who? Who lets an 11-year-old do that? Mentally parents. Mentally deranged parents are the people that do it, and nobody's stopping them. Yeah, That's yeah. the problem. The problem is not the kid's got a mental problem. The kid is being guided by their parents who have the mental problems. This is not – this is like the – like I just saw this thing that said, uh, that said um, transphobed, transphobic people – are put in their place because you can't, men can't have babies. Well, as it turns out, the girl that is having the baby was transitioning to be a man and she just stopped her treatment so she could have a baby. And Tom, to be fair, we got to run. Thank you so much. To be fair to Chloe Cole's parents, her parents took her to a doctor and said, okay, you know, my child needs help. My child's unhappy. My child, you know, and the doctors were the ones who led them down this path. And she said, she absolves her parents. She said, you know, my parents were just trying to do what they thought was best for me and following the advice that they were given by the doctor. She several times, she said, the doctor, one of the doctors looked at my parents and said, would you rather have a dead daughter or a son? And I mean, if you're a parent, you go to a doctor and you're, you don't know anything about this. I mean, how many of us, but in before two years ago knew anything about this? My kid comes to me, my kid's unhappy. My kid's, you know, got all these problems. And, and, she, and she said, I was never suicidal, but yet the doctor asked my parents, do you want a dead daughter? So what parent is going to say yes? They're going to do what they can to save that child. So some of these parents, I kind of don't blame them because they're looking for medical advice and they're doing what the doctor says is the right thing. And, you know, I, I don't like any, I don't like politicians telling doctors how to do their jobs because name another, another profession where we would allow a non a person with no experience in that profession to tell you how to do it. Right. Would you want a, um, you know, a science teacher coming over and telling the plumber, you know, how to replace your boiler? Probably not. So why do we allow politicians who are mostly lawyers tell doctors how to care for patients? I don't like that either because then when there's a lawsuit, if the, if the doctor's following the guidelines, you know, there's a lawsuit then. So I, I, it's, it's something that needs to be addressed. I think it's a, obviously a big problem, and we will be talking more about it as time goes on. And I think more kids start to detransition, detrans- and then you got the parents, which is the other part of this whole equation. It's going to be very interesting to see what the government does or does not do. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade.
I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilme. Welcome if you are just joining us. Great to have you. Uh, coming up later this hour, we are going to talk. Let's talk a little bit about the economy with Susan Lee from Fox Business. She's a correspondent there. And joining us right now is Andrew McCarthy. We're going to get started off with him, Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. He's also the author of Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. Find him on Twitter at Andrew C. McCarthy. By the way, Ball of Collusion, great book. I, I did read it and thoroughly enjoyed it. Andy, thank you for joining me. Mary, great to be with you. There is so much to unpack here. Oh, my gosh. What a crazy day. First of all, I'm a little disappointed in the DOJ because I really thought that when Hunter Biden's um, plea deal went south, that they would have rolled out the indictments right away in order to take it out of the news. So they were behind. They were off their game a little bit by like half a day. But they did what they usually do, which is sweep any bad news about the Bidens out of the news cycle and indict Trump. Yeah, isn't it amusing, though? Mary, what you just said was you figured they'd roll out the indictments. And everybody listening to our conversation knows that what you meant was the Trump indictments. Yes, that's, that's what I meant. I'm sorry, the Trump indictments. Yeah. No, but, but I point that out because one of the amazing things about the Hunter Biden case and the Biden in, investigation in general is, you know, I got asked on, on the air, uh, so now that the deal is broken down, do they, do they go to trial? against Hunter. And I said, go to trial on what? Because they've never indicted him. They've never indicted him for the same reason that they didn't want to lay out in the plea agreement uh, exactly the the scope of the immunity that he was getting for these ridiculous two misdemeanor tax pleas, because they don't want to lay out the case against the Bidens. <laughs> um, and, you know, we're, we're all on tenterhooks waiting for the Trump indictment, which, you know, you know, is coming. It didn't come yesterday. And I was surprised about that as you were. Uh, but, it, you know, whether it's a couple of days or today or whatever, you we can figure it's coming. What isn't coming is the Hunter indictment. And the reason I, I point that out is do the math. You know, the the um, the irrelevant years for the Biden scandal are basically from a prosecutor's standpoint, 2014 to 2019. Okay, we're getting deeply, deeply into 2023 at this point, and the tax statute of limitations is about six years for the relevant counts. All the other federal crimes, it's five years. So if they continue to not indict and they run the Justice Department until the beginning of 2025, there's not going to be a case left to indict. It's amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. And and there's more to this. First of all, let me ask you, uh, there's a couple questions I want to get out of the way in the beginning before I before sure. I forget, before we get deep into this, because I know we could probably go an hour on this easily. How does Hunter Biden remain in good standing and a good standing member of the D.C. bar despite facing criminal charges and his drug issues and everything else, which violates what you need to be in good standing in D.C.? Well, somebody would have to file some kind of a complaint that he had, uh, you know, that he didn't have the sufficient character um, to be a member of the bar. <laughs> I'm afraid that's a low bar. Um, <laughs> uh, no pun intended. But, uh, you know, the other thing is, uh, you know, I, I think that's a that's a good question, but we shouldn't indulge the pretense that, that Hunter's a lawyer, right? I mean, 
Well, you know, wasn't he hired for his legal services? Didn't he represent somebody? He Yes, he was, for example, hired by uh, CEFC, which is an arm of the Chinese communist right, government, yeah. to represent Patrick Ho, who, That's as he met, as he described him, as the spy chief of China. His his description was a little more colorful than that. Um, but yes, he, you know, he's been brought in. But I think he was brought in not so much as a lawyer, but as a connected Biden who could snoop around and find out what the government was doing when it was investigating CEFC. And as it turned out. Uh, when Patrick Ho actually did get indicted, he had to get a real lawyer, you know, like a criminal lawyer who would defend him. And in that case where he got convicted of foreign corruption charges, we learned that CEFC was under foreign counterintelligence surveillance by, you know, the FBI and the intelligence community. So we have no idea, like, is Hunter Biden on uh a national security wire, like he was he picked up on any of these wiretaps that they were doing on CEFC. It's really quite something what we don't know about that case. The last question I want to get out of the way before we really delve into this, because Comer came out with some interesting information yesterday, and we're going to play that and, and talk about that because this mm-hmm. is also this is big. But um, is there any news about the special counsel investigating Biden's mishandling of classified documents? I mean, are we pretending that that's still going on? Are we just going to... Where, where is that? So the person that they in, that they uh, appointed for that uh, is was surprisingly to me a pretty reputable lawyer by the name of Robert Herr. And what I think you have to remember about that appointment is that Garland didn't do it for the right reasons. He did it for political reasons. Um, he had just appointed Jack Smith. Uh, to be the special counsel on the Trump case. And that was prompted by Trump's Mar-a-Lago situation, coupled with the fact that Trump announced that he was a candidate for president. So right after that, it turned out that Biden had a a classified information scandal where he had been hoarding documents for decades. And Garland had no choice, having just appointed Smith, he had to appoint someone for the the, – the, the classified documents on Biden. But notice, he didn't give him permission to investigate the corruption scandal, only the classified documents. And ever since he made that appointment, you're right to point out that that thing has disappeared. We don't hear a thing about it. It's so weird how nothing leaks out. We don't know whether Biden had classified documents he wasn't supposed to have. We don't know how many he wasn't supposed to have. But he apparently, um, according to what I was seeing yesterday, he had more documents than Trump did. Yeah, well, I think as soon as it emerged that Biden had his own classified information problem, then the Mar-a-Lago case, like on a dime, switched from being a document retention case to the way the media and Democrats described it as an obstruction case. And the big thing you were supposed to take away at that point was that Biden was totally cooperative with the FBI and everybody else. Uh, investigating, and that uh, Trump, by contrast, had fought them for a year and a half. Now, that may all be true, but being cooperative with the FBI doesn't mean that you didn't commit the underlying offense. Like, if you give the money back, you still rob the bank, <laughs> you know? So, um, uh, but it is, it's amazing how the, uh, how coordinated the media Democrat 
complexes because they really just changed on the Mar-a-Lago thing in an instant from it being like document retention for for, for months was like the worst crime against national security you could ever commit until it turned out that Biden had done it, too, in which case the problem was that Trump obstructed the grand jury. Right. Now, in this these new uh, charges that were brought against Trump, uh, there is also another person who has now been brought in, Carlos de Oliveira, uh, who right. has been added to the obstruction conspiracy. The allegation is that Trump asked him to wipe the, the videos, the video cameras, like get rid of them, like with a cloth, you know, or maybe he could use bleach mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that, so they're alleging that he attempted to delete surveillance video footage from Mar-a-Lago. I thought that that video footage was given to the FBI. Well, we know we don't know exactly what they have. They got a lot of footage. Um, I think until the case plays out, we won't know everything they got. Uh, it seems to me what they what's what's going on here um, is that they're a little bit concerned that the obstruction case that they've laid out in the indictment is heavily dependent on the testimony of Trump's lawyer, uh, who was ordered to testify for and provide documents, which are important documents to the case. Um, that that order came from Beryl Howell, who is uh, the chief judge of the District of Columbia Court, where they really should not have been investigating this case because everything about this case happened down in Florida. in Florida. The only thing that happened in Washington was they set up the grand jury there. But all the action in the case takes, that, takes place in Florida, which is why Smith – even though he didn't want to have to do this, he ended up indicting the case in Florida because there wasn't venue uh, on the counts so, in, uh, in Washington. So I think what they're worried about is that the judge in Florida may not be as convinced as Judge Howell was that the, set, that the attorney-client privilege doesn't apply. And if they lose the testimony of the lawyer, then the obstruction case becomes much more shaky. So it it seems to me what they're trying to do here is try to shore that up. It's it's amazing. It's just absolutely, I feel like I'm living in bizarro land with with everything that is happening here. Um, A lot to get to. We're going to come back with more. And I'm I'm sure we're not going to get to everything, obviously, uh, because there's just so much going on with with Donald Trump. So more with Andrew McCarthy coming up here on the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. And Andrew McCarthy, kind enough to stay with us for another segment. He's a Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, and a great book, Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. Uh, You can find him on Twitter at Andrew C. McCarthy. Donald Trump is denying that his lawyers were told that he's going to face indictment in a January 6th probe also by the special counsel Jack Smith. Now, what's interesting to me and what was surprising to me, and maybe I'm naive here, I didn't realize Jack Smith was like just digging into any crime he can find find on Trump. I thought he was just doing the classified documents issue. So it was like each each special prosecutor was equal, Bidens and Trumps, both investigating the documents. I did not know Jack Smith was just looking for any crime he could possibly find. Yeah, well, this is why we say there's a two-tiered justice system and that this is so hyper political 
as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, Mary, the the, um, the Trump special counsel, Smith, and the Biden, the one Biden special counsel we have, her, uh, were appointed at close to the same time, like within a few weeks of each other. But one of the very telling things was that uh, in Garland's appointment of Smith, he broadly gave him authority to investigate not only the classified documents at Mar-a-Lago, uh, but also January 6th and any other crimes arising out of his investigation, whereas Heard's mandate was very tightly narrowed to Biden's classified documents and and I think, uh, you know, quite uh, tellingly did not include the Biden corruption scandal. It's amazing. So, oh, so all right. So so we are going to see an indictment in January 6th, I would assume, because what they're, I, am, so. am I, I think what they're trying to do here is just laden Trump with so many indictments. It's just going to be lawfare that they can blast out on social media to try to make him unelectable. Is that what the game is here? And then if Trump either drops out or loses, everything goes away. Well, I think it, the premise is that he is unelectable. But for, so from the Democrat analysis, um, Trump is a weaker candidate now than he was in 2016 and 2020 when he topped out at 46 percent. And they're banking that he's sufficiently unpopular now, especially after the Capitol riot with uh, the, the electorate at large, as opposed to Republican base, that he can never get more than, you know, say, 40, 42 again. So their objective, because of the way they read the chessboard, is to get him nominated by the Republicans, um, and the indictments have the effect of ginning up the base, getting Republicans angry. It makes it very hard for the other candidates against Trump to get any traction because all the story is is about Trump. And then what they figure is if they can push some of these cases to trial a few months from now during the 2024 campaign in the run up to the election, it's at the it's in the trials and the pretrial hearings that all the terrible evidence comes out, and they figure that will further turn the broader electorate against Trump. So they're they're it's a twofer for them. They want to get him nominated, and then they think they kill him in the general election. Yeah, and and I would not be surprised if that's not their long game because they do have the DOJ on their side. You know, we we yep. talked a little bit earlier, and, and we don't have a lot of time here, but a, a little bit earlier about you know the Republicans are getting to the bottom of a lot of stuff, and I'm not going to play the audio just because I want to be able to have more conversation. But uh, James Comer was on Ted Cruz's podcast, The Verdict, and he um, said that they they've learned that. They now suspect that Joe Biden had offshore accounts, and they learned this during the IRS whistleblower testimony, and he asked them about foreign accounts, and they said, yes, he did. The problem is, is the Republicans are several years behind the ball here. They're trying to unravel something, things that happened 10 years ago, if not longer. I just don't know if they ever get to the bottom of this while Joe Biden's even alive. Yeah, well, it's important, I think. Mary, for their sake, that they have to get anything they have, they have to get it out publicly um, because you're never going to move the Biden Justice Department unless you can light a political fire under them that convinces them that their uh, survival and the president's political survival uh, hinges on doing things like returning an indictment and appointing a special counsel. I'm not holding my breath for that to happen. All I'm saying is the only chance they have is to get this information out public if they've got it. 
Right, because even a special counsel, how do you even know that they're going to really do their job and it's not going to be a tainted right. special counsel like the guy who's allegedly investigating Biden, which, again, is never going to happen because what's going to happen is, I think, we get too close to the election, like, oh, well, it's too close to the election. We have to wait till after now to give you a report. That's their Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly right. I mean, if they fought up till now appointing a special counsel when it's obvious there should have been one from the moment that Garland was – uh, Garland took office at the Justice Department. Uh, you know, the chances are if they do appoint one, it's going to be a hack. Yeah. And then you, you also, which we haven't even talked about, in Georgia with Fannie Willis down there, security barriers appeared at the Fulton County Courthouse on Thursday. But I will say this woman's a drama queen. Okay. She's very dramatic. Yeah. You know, May yep. 2nd, she's going to, she, she announced she's making a historic decision this summer. You know, so she, she, she's taking three weeks off in August. And she's very dramatic. But the security barriers appeared yesterday. So it looks like there is an indictment imminent there as well. Yeah, she a few weeks ago, she asked her court in Atlanta to clear its decks of, you know, clear the calendars because there's going to be a lot of activity between July 31st and the middle of August. So that's the end. What I, what I find interesting is she is, and I, I admire that she's not dissuaded by an investigation that was already done by Raffensperger's office, GBI, and the NFBI, and they found there was no evidence of any type of fraud uh, during during the election, right? But she's not dissuaded by an investigation that was already done. And no, he, she's an elected Democrat. I mean, that's you know, Alvin Bragg's an elected Democrat. Letitia James is an elected Democrat. All these prosecutors around the country or, or attorneys general who are bringing actions against Trump, many of them ran for election on the promise that they would use the power of their office against Trump because in these big, blue, progressive cities, that's good politics. It's, yeah. it's terrible, but that's what it is. And I didn't realize that just having a discussion about, hey, you know, what happened in your state about the elections? Can, can you fix this? Can you fix the elections? Not fix, fix, but fix the problems. And uh, that gets you indicted. Thank you so much, Andrew McCarthy. Appreciate you joining me. Appreciate you staying. Follow him on Twitter at Andrew C. McCarthy. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. You can find me on Twitter at Mary Walter Radio. And my podcast on Tuesdays, 7.15 p.m. Eastern on Getter and YouTube Live. Just look for Mary Walter Radio. And then the audio is on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Joining us now, Susan Lee. She is a correspondent for the Fox Business Channel. You can follow her on Twitter at Susan Lee, L-I-T-V. Susan, thank you for joining me. Oh, thank you for the promo on Instagram and Twitter. That was lovely of you, Mary. I try. <laughs> there it's is a great so much, Friday there's, there's so much going on with the economy. Can I may I just start out by saying that there are some signs, but I for one am mm-hmm. shocked that the economy has not crashed. I mean, I thought beyond I thought once Biden got in, I thought this whole thing was going down. I thought the ship was sinking. I really did. So I, for <laughs> one, have to say I am oddly, weirdly, um, I guess, 
I don't want to say I admire what's happened so far, but it is pretty impressive that it didn't all go to holy hell within a month. So um, <laughs> tell me how you really feel. Mary. <laughs> well, I'm actually giving it, you know, just, I'm kind of know? giving props, but I don't know if I should be giving them, which is why we're talking to you. <laughs> so I think the whole stock market and Wall Street is a little surprise as well that we yes. haven't fallen into recession so far this year. I think 75 to 80 percent of economists, if you ask them at around maybe in, in the autumn last year, they all said we're going to head into recession at some point in the next right. 12 to 14 months. And some of them even predicted some pretty dire uh, e- economic times, right, where there, there would be five to six percent unemployment, inflation would still hover at seven percent, and it just hasn't happened so far this year. So I think you're not the only one that's been shocked. Everybody on the stock market, even professionals that make millions of dollars doing this, have been shocked. But they did, the feds did hike the interest rate to the to its highest level in more than 22 years. That can't be a good sign. Is that what they're doing in order to balance things out a little bit, maybe to, to slow down inflation? Yeah, that's right. So we hit, how, how high was inflation last summer? It was about 9%, and that's right. the highest we've seen in decades. So they actually brought it down to 3%. Now, I think that there was a lot of distortion because of the oil prices and the Russia-Ukraine battle. But, uh, you know, the fact that you have interest rates going up to 22-year highs and how stock markets work is that you pretty much price out what's going to happen in six to nine months. So the Wall Street investors are saying, okay, well, I think we've, we're past the peak. This is near the peak. Maybe we'll have one more interest rate hike, although I think 50% of the markets say that's not going to happen. So here we are at the peak of interest rates, and we're pretty much done. So they're pricing out six to nine months from now, given that we know where interest rates are, the economy is improving, it, you have job markets, and the jobs actually the whole thing pretty steady, and people are still spending. And you saw that in the GDP report yesterday. You know that that projects a pretty good outcome in the next six to nine months if the Federal Reserve also starts cutting interest rates with um, dry powder now at five percent plus. Now. New home sales, though, which have been going gangbusters. Where I live, it's already built up. So, you know, they're just the, the people diagonally across the street from me bought a house that was totally redone after Sandy and probably wasn't only 15 years old. Maybe it was a couple of years old when they when Sandy hit and they just yeah. bought it for three point seven million, knocked it down. Wow. And are building yeah. an entire new house. And it's going to be god-awful ugly. But um, it's going to be a square, boxy, Ikea-looking things, you know, with a floor-to-ceiling glass and all that stuff. Um, but, I mean, people have a lot of money, apparently. So housing is going crazy. You couldn't get you couldn't get any kind of supplies. You couldn't do anything. But now we're starting to see sales of new single-family homes fall. And I, it, it is people, I would assume, and I buy are less likely to buy a new home when they can buy maybe a, a, a used home uh, for less money. That's where their money is going to go. So I have to ask also, Mary, which part of the country, which state, which zip code do you live in? Because $3.7 million is pretty pricey. So you have very uh, wealthy, well-to-do neighbors. Oh. must be a... A great place. Yeah, well, I live on the Jersey Shore, and they're all fleeing New York. All the people with uh, a lot of money are fleeing New York, and they're coming yeah. here and then voting for the same stuff they just fled. But in the meantime, they're paying a ridiculous amount of money inflated for houses. Yeah, and, and also what mortgage rate? Or do they pay in cash? Because a lot of people now, these It was cash. These rich, it was a cash yeah, deal. It was a cash deal. It's insane. Of course. 
must be great um, because a lot of people are not buying homes in the last 12 to 18 months because mortgage rates have now shot up because interest rates have shot up to 7%. So that's I think it's the highest mortgage rates we've seen in almost 20 to 30 years since the 1980s. You weren't around buying a home, I'm sure, but it was 18% mortgage rates, and that's what I'm told. That was the peak of all interest rates ever for housing. So at 7, it's not 18, but it's not the 2% in the record low uh, jumbo mortgage rates that we were getting to buy houses at in 2020. But, you know, we have had a very hot real estate market, but because of how high mortgage rates are, I think people are holding fire. But I also checked on the average price per home here in the U.S. Can you believe it? And this kind of baffled me because for many, many years, it was sub 300000 was the average home price in America. Now, in the last few years, and this might be distorted by your zip code, but it's above $450,000 now. Yeah, and I don't live in a ritzy zip code. They just found us during covid and and we had a nice little town, 1.1 square miles, nice little everybody says hello to each other, and now it's it's just insanity. Uh, so, but okay, so what I what I I guess my question is as there's there's got to be a smaller pool of people who can afford to buy a new home mm-hmm. because of the interest rates going up and the prices going so high because these people who have just a stupid amount of money out in Montana, we have friends who live out there. Same thing happened out there during COVID. You know, people, California vomited into Montana and these people came with cash and they're like, okay, um, I've got 4 million cash. I'm only here for 24 hours. What can I buy? Yeah. Uh, yeah, And people actually have been buying homes sight unseen. So they go online on Zillow and they say, well, that looks fantastic. We have the cash. And, you know, remote work means we don't have to be in the office five days a week. And I've also heard the same thing from very wealthy Silicon Valley tech entrepreneurs who've made tons of money. You know what's happened in California with the high crime rates. And they said, "Okay, well, well, let's go out to Wyoming where we get blue skies and you know, right. grass country each and every day. So they've been coming in with bucket loads of cash, not having to get a mortgage at 7%. And they they have a lot of homes to choose from because I, the average person like me and you, we, we decide, obviously, we probably need to get a mortgage, put 20% down. But a lot of those wealthy folks uh, probably don't have to do that. But also because of the high mortgage rates, a lot of people are not selling their homes. And that's why there's been a dwindling supply in the market. So people have been waiting for mortgage rates to come down, and then they can sell their homes because then they can afford to buy the next home when rates come down. Yeah. And then you've got you've got gas prices due to spike as well, as much as 10 to 25 cents. That's a lot. And and I notice, you know, gas prices, they, they, they just go up and down. You just have no clue. And you know, get everybody gets on Gas Buddy and tries to find the, the, the best price. Uh, that, to me, I, I'm just looking like, I'm looking at that. I'm looking at, you know, a smaller group of people who can actually afford to buy a house. The cost of mm-hmm. rents, because there are more people renting now, that's going up. Plus the flow of illegal immigrants coming into the country. They stuff, they, they rent an apartment or a house and they stuff 10 people in there. You, the the available housing, like you said, is dwindling. Are these are these bad signs, or is this something that's going to work somehow work its way out? 
Well, I think we've passed the worst of the economic crisis because, as I, you know, as we mentioned, uh, we started off this conversation by saying pretty much everybody baked in a recession in the next 12 to 14 months. And you know, even the Federal Reserve said this uh, week when they raised interest rates that they have taken recession predictions off the table. But also analysis with gas prices is that every penny increase in gas prices takes a billion dollars out of the economy from consumer spending. And the consumer has been pretty strong, wildly and surprisingly strong so far this year, whether it's revenge travel to, you know, get out after being locked down for two, three years with COVID. But, you know, the thing is with interest rates at this level, you still have pretty strong jobs market, and you're seeing that kind of that bubble and that uh, the froth coming out of the uh, the housing market. You would imagine, though, that if we have an increase in gas prices, there is a bit of a, shall we say, a take rate out of the economy. Also, you know that student loan repayments are restarting in October, so I think that's those are the focus uh, of Wall Street when they, they think about it and how to, I guess, uh, formulate consumer spending for the rest of this year. Yeah, well, it's a good thing because um, the CBO is proje- projecting huge deficits, $116 trillion in new borrowing over the next 30 years. If they thought student loans were hard to pay back, I don't yeah. know what they're going to do when they got to pay this back. Right. I was looking at that because you know the thing is, this is all about um, spending, right, social social programs. And who's going to carry the weight of actually paying for these unfunded liabilities in the future? It's going to be the younger generation. <laughs> so maybe this is a, a selfish thought to myself when I'm looking at debt predictions to G- GDP at 181%. So that means there's almost two times the amount of debt, three times actually, if we're up to 200%, the amount of debt that the economy actually produces each and every year. And you have more than a trillion and a half right now in unfunded liabilities for pension funds. So what about the younger generation that can't afford their homes right now? They're lagging behind on student loan payments. When you don't have Medicare and Social Security, what do you do in the future? So it just seems to me when I talk to people of my generation, there's just a very bleak outlook that we have, we're dependent on ourselves going forward. The government right. is not going to help you. No, no, no. I've been told my whole life, you're going to pay into Social Security, you're going to pay into Medicare, and you're going to get nothing back. But yeah. I shockingly managed to pay my student loans back while I was at it. Oh, wow. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Well, it, it really wh- wasn't that hard. I lived below my means and paid my, my bills. So it's called growing up. Then? It was called being an adult. It was called growing up. It was called your 20s. That's what you do in your 20s. So how do you feel as someone that struggled probably or sacrificed in order to pay back your student loans with those that have now debt forgiveness from the government? Yeah, what do you think? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. You seem I had zero sympathy. I, I was living. I had to get a roommate. I was living. I got transferred to a state halfway across the country. I knew nobody. I wound up becoming a roommate with, with a bank teller at the oh, because wow. I needed a roommate. And she's the only person I knew. So we moved in together. Luckily, it, it worked out. I didn't have any furniture. I had no bed. I slept on ma- a mattress cover and like and sheets on the floor. Because I didn't want to buy a bed because I had bills to yeah. pay and I had I had to get a car. I had to pay that loan and I had no dresser. I just had my clothes folded neatly and hung up yeah. in the closet. That was it. And that's how I lived. Imagine that. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty typical of uh, a 20 year old, 30 year old right. just starting out in the jobs market. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but they don't good. seem it to get it. Character. 
Exactly. My expectations are super low, and that's something you need in life is low expectations. <laughs> it makes things a lot easier. Susan Lee, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Mary. Have a wonderful summer. Enjoy some time off. Thank you. I hope you get some time off as well. You can follow her on Twitter at Susan Lee, L-I-T-V. I'm Mary Walter. I'll get to your calls coming up, 866-408-7669 on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. And, you know, do I, I think I have audio for this. Hold on. Um, let's do a little bit of news. Yeah, it's hot. You know it's hot. Um, I have to tell you, it's hot. But um, the U.S., so we're going electric, right? And uh, air conditioners put a big strain on the electric grid. And you know that you have to, some areas you get rolling brownouts. They have those in, in California, brownouts and sometimes rolling blackouts. And you have to run your air conditioner not during peak hours and all this other stuff. Well, PJM Interconnection is the biggest U.S. electric grid operator. They issued a level one emergency yesterday. And uh, they say they have available resources to meet the load and their reserve commitments, which I, they store the electricity, which is weird. It's because to me, electricity is like a thing in the air. So they store it. And um, but they're concerned about sustaining their contingency reserves. They oversee a 13 state region. Now, Texas had they had the real they had a real bad heat wave down in Texas and, and that area of the country. And they, they so far have managed to be able to hold it, which is a good thing now. Here's some bad news, and this this is the downside to things like boycotts, especially very, very successful boycotts. Um, Anheuser-Busch has announced that they're, they've got some layoffs coming. They said they will be laying off less than 2% of its U- U.S. workforce. They employ more than 19,000 people nationwide, according to their webpage. So that means that about 380 positions, or fewer, because they say less than 2%, will be eliminated. They did say that frontline workers such as brewery and warehouse employees will not be impacted by the layoffs. So I don't know who is, I guess it's going to be middle management. Well, that's, I mean, anybody who loses their job, it's, it's awful. I feel less for CEOs who've been making millions and millions and millions for years, who have been able to sock it away and now maybe have to sell one of the, you know, one of the Maseratis. Okay. I don't feel as much for you as I do for like a frontline worker or a middle management person who re- who needs the money in order to, you know, feed their kids and keep a roof over their head. There's different levels of this. So that's a that's the sad part of this. One person made this decision, this marketing decision, and totally tanked the entire brand. How the heck that person gets a job somewhere else is beyond me. I, I don't know how the heck she's going to do it. And she was dumb enough to make a, a video about it. And I think that's what killed the brand was the video she made where she talked about, well, you know, Budweiser had a frat boy image and we had to get rid of that. And it's like, mm, that wasn't the smartest thing to do, sweetheart. And I think that's really what tanked their brand. So other people are going to pay the price. Yeah, I know she got fired, but still, uh, she should have been, rightfully so. Other people didn't do it. She did, and they're going to lose their job. Now, lastly, this story comes out of Virginia and the D.C. area, and it's a woman named Cindy Smith. And um, 
she wound up coming home and there's all these Amazon boxes piled on her front step. She said they came from everybody, FedEx, Amazon. They were all delivering boxes. She got more than 100 Amazon boxes randomly arriving at her home. And in the boxes, about a 1,000 headlamps for running and biking, 800 glue guns, and dozens upon dozens of children's binoculars. And they were all sent to the same person, Li Zhao Zhang, at her address. And Li Zhao Zhang doesn't live there. Rose, now another woman in, in Northwest D.C. got to, came home to two rows covering her front door. She said, big towering boxes. And in the boxes were children's sheets. And it turns out that the packing slips showed the boxes were all vendor returns to the same person, Li Zhao Zhang. So they trace it to fit the news, traced it to 15 Amazon warehouse fulfillment centers in nine different states. And then WUSA 9 did an interview with a man who's a New York attorney who represents companies that sell on Amazon, CJ Rosenbaum. And he says, these sellers are located in China. So when they need to get their products out of the Amazon warehouses because they're not selling, they just pick a random address in the U.S. and have it all shipped there because it's cheaper than having it shipped back to China. So now this is a thing. So now these two women are doing the right thing and trying to donate them and get rid of all these these items, which is the right thing to do. But, uh, wow. I'm Mary Walter. Thank you for joining me here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Have a great day. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.